Hi, you're listening to the New Life Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, brought to you from the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. What you can do with these unexplainables of life is, um, is enjoy embracing the mystery. And we're not very good at that in this day and age. We like to know the answers. Part of the enjoyment of life is to realize that there is mystery out there. And instead of it puzzling you and driving you to stress and anxiety, you just embrace it. So we're going to look at this in this mini-series called Three in One. We're going to look at the Trinity. Did you know that the Bible does not explain the Trinity? The Bible doesn't even teach the Trinity. All the Bible does is reveal it throughout, where we open its pages and we get glimpses of God the Father, God the Son, and God, you all know it. And yet if you try and find somewhere in the Bible where it's taught, you won't find anywhere. If you try and find somewhere in the Bible where it's explained, you won't find anywhere. But if you read the Bible, you will see it being revealed and curtains drawn back where you just, you just know it, it's there. It's there. Three in one. There's no greater mystery. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy, Holy Holy, you're going to hear a bit of that song a little bit later on. So in this series, my job isn't to uh, take you on a theological understanding of God. That's what theology means, understanding God. That, that isn't my job. My, my job in this series isn't to talk about doctrine. You know what doctrine is? People think it's boring, but it's actually the scaffolding of our faith. Doctrine helps people like you and me get our story straight. It's really important. But I'm, but I'm not going to talk about that because that can be a, bit, uh, be a bit cold. I'm not even going to work through the Trinity in a systematic way. Because if I was going to do that, I would start with the Trinity. And then I would explain Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, we're actually going to do the Trinity at the end of the series on Trinity Sunday. Which is the Sunday following the big weekend. So my job is to reveal some things which I think are important to us in our relationship with God. If God is in Trinity, how is our relationship with God affected? And does the Bible give any clues about that? That, That's where I want to go with this. And I hope it will help all of us, whether we're newcomers to church or whether we've been here a long, long while. Now what I'm going to root... Um, the series in is a, is a little passage which you would think has nothing to do with the Trinity, but it has everything to do with the Trinity. In John chapter 4. In a second, you're going to hear John chapter 4 being read by a famous actor. After you've heard it being read, you're then going to hear a song being sung, uh, which actually Sarah Waldridge, uh, Cheryl Taylor, and Lucy Cahill recorded. During that song, here's what I want you to do, and this is really different for a Sunday morning. I want you to turn around or move from your position and find four or five other people and have a chat during the duration of that song. And there's going to be a question comes on the screen. Jesus, tired from the journey, sat down by the well. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? 
The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Okay, let's come back together. This morning, we're focusing on God the Father, God the Father, and we ask the question, when you think about God the Father, or when you pray to God the Father, what do you picture in your mind? Who do you picture in your mind? And I know already on on Facebook, when some people reported back to me very interesting responses, and I don't know whether you found some interesting responses as you were chatting. I'm not going to ask you to feed back from the front, but isn't it interesting the variety The variety of things that people can imagine or picture in their mind when they're praying to or considering God the Father. And actually, that doesn't surprise me at all. So this story that was read to us early from John chapter 4, it's a famous story. Uh, Jesus was tired again. He met a woman at a well, and there's a well-known little conversation that goes on then around the well, and usually we think that's about living water, living water, but actually there's so much more is revealed to us in that little episode, and we're going to be dipping into that each week and finding out what that little episode tells us about the Trinity. What's interesting is about The time Jesus dropped into history, there was no concept at all of the Trinity. None at all. The Jews, the followers of Yahweh, they knew that God was plural. They knew that God was more than one. They had language to describe that. Lots of different kinds of words to describe that. But there was no concept of the Trinity. And yet here is Jesus himself dropping into history as part of the Trinity. Uh, And my job, I guess, is to try and help us this morning understand who is God What has God ever done for us? And why does that matter? John 4, 24. In the middle of this conversation, Jesus is having with a woman at a well on his own midday in this village. That shouldn't have happened anyway, but we won't go into that. There they are. And in the middle, Jesus says this amazing three-word phrase. He says, God is is spirit. God is spirit. It's a very powerful phrase, but even more so because Jesus was in Samaria and the Samaritans, 
they did something quite peculiar with the concept of God that made them different than the Jews. They anthropomorphized God. They gave him human attributes. In order to explain him, they gave him human distinctives. They defined him in human terms. And the Jews didn't like them very much. And here's Jesus, and he says to this Samaritan woman, right in the middle of a Samaritan village, he says this. God is spirit. How about that? For nailing right on the head that God has no human attributes. Do we sometimes give God human attributes? Do we sometimes define God in mankind's image? When you think about God, do you sometimes project onto Him human definition? And human distinctives. Because what's interesting is when we do that, although it helps us understand and grasp and wrestle with God, it can also make him less than he is. God, says Jesus, is spirit. He has no physical attributes whatsoever, right? Remember, we've got more in the series coming, okay? so you know. No physical attributes whatsoever. Now that's interesting because what this means is that whenever humans try and talk about God, even in scripture, or whenever God wants to describe himself to humanity, the only way that that can work, the only bridge between the two is called metaphor. So that's why you read in the Old Testament and when God's angry, he says, I will roll up my sleeve and bear my right hand. Tell me, Does God have a sleeve? No, he doesn't. It's metaphor, okay? God is is angry about something. He's vexed about something. And he wants humanity to know that he is vexed about something. But we can't conceive of God as spirit. So so the only go-between language is metaphor all the time. It doesn't mean he's wearing a shirt. Sometimes... We can take the metaphors and try and pin God down with them. God is high and seated on a throne, which simply means God is in charge. He is, he is sovereign. It doesn't mean he is high, i.e. two billion light years away, and seated on a throne because God, pardon my language, does not have a bottom. Sometimes when we read scripture, we, we, we've got to understand that these are just humans like you and I trying to grasp the incredible, mysterious nature of God. So the Bible talks is about God laughing. It talks about God dancing over us. Sometimes it talks about God in muscular terms. There's something else that God doesn't have. Things that make someone male or female. You get what I'm after? God is spirit. And he doesn't have them. Men, don't get too lofty. You're just as much like God as women are. So when we read language in the Bible and we come across metaphor, it's not actually saying, hey, here we can pin God down and God is like this. It's saying, here, us as humans... 
we, we scrabble around trying to define God. So much so that the, the Jews wouldn't even say his name out loud. I mean, that's how much they, they valued and embraced mystery. But us today, we, we try and define him. And so we can try and get these metaphors and pin God down by saying God is spirit. God is he's uncorporeal. It means he doesn't have a body. He is spirit. That means this, that you can't pop God in a box. When God wanted to say... And describe himself just a little bit to Moses. He says, he says Moses, um, t- tell the people, because you've got to describe me to them somehow. Tell them I am. And if I was Moses, I would have said, that's not good enough, God, right? Because that means, that means nothing and it means everything at the same time. But that's, what, what do you mean? How can I describe you to these people by saying to them, hey, I'm a servant of the Most High God. And what is he like? He is, a, he is the I am. Try and put that in a box, right? There's a lovely passage of scripture when, when God is dealing with a, a remarkable man called uh, Job. And Job has a life story which you wouldn't wish on anyone else. And I won't go into his life story, but but Job, in the middle of, of a life which seems to be all going wrong for him, he enters into this debate with God. I mean, it's a healthy conversation, but they're having a good debate. And I don't know how he is perceiving God or perceiving God's answers here, but we have an insight in Scripture of this kind of conversation between Job and between God, right? And in the middle of this, it's almost as if God has had enough. He's had enough of of Job bleating away for the moment. And God interrupts Job. And his interruption lasts for three chapters. How about that? Hey, That the Lord, it says, God the Father, says to Job. It says, uh, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Again, that's rather godlike, isn't it? You know, I mean, God can turn up anywhere he likes, right? So God speaks out of a storm and he says, Who is this that obscures my plans? He's talking about Job. With words without knowledge. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, Job. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or where were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind its doors? Did you do it? Did you do it? No, I did it. This is what God's saying, right? When it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits, for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far ocean you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning to arrive? God is just saying, hey, look, I'm big and mysterious. I know what's going on. I am. This is helpful for us, I think, as, as being followers of Jesus, people in a Jesus-centric church, Jesus-centric faith. Because sometimes, sometimes, knowing the truth that we'll hear next week, that Jesus is with us and sticks closer than a brother, and that he loves us intimately, 
we can lose the sense of awe and replace it totally with a sense of intimacy. Whereas what we need to do is embrace both. Remember the story I told last week? Jesus stood up in a boat. He was interrupted. He was having a nice sleep. And he looked at a raging storm. And he said two words. Be muzzled. And the storm went. That's awesome, right? That's awesome. David Bowie wasn't awesome. Great musician. Prince. Incredibly talented man. Wasn't awesome. Victoria Wood. Very, very funny lady. Sadly missed. She wasn't awesome. This is awesome. This God who speaks here. This is awesome. The one who you go, hey, hey God, um, we're going to try and do a biography on you on TV. Uh, we've got a documentary. Uh, what shall we fill it with? How are we going to pin you down? How can we get you in this box? How can we define you? What can you tell us about yourself? And he says, I am. So when you close your eyes and you picture God the Father and you're praying to God the Father, or when you imagine Jesus reciting that prayer he taught to his disciples, where's the awe? I almost feel awkward saying he's awesome. It's just that that's the frailty of human language that I have to use he there. Because the word he itself is a metaphor. Because the ancients, the Hebrews, they had, they had masculine and feminine words for God. So God is spirit. And he's here today with us. And it's great that we're intimate with Jesus Christ and he's close but let's always hold some awe in our heart why does it matter that God is spirit and we even try and understand anything about it why does it matter that you take us on a journey Russ into more confusion and mystery rather than explaining stuff if you can figure God out if you can nail him down, if you can define him, is he a God really worth following? Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Tell us more, Jesus. God is spirit. Tell us more, Moses. He says he is the I am. And so we find ourselves here this morning. And we find ourselves going through life, trying to puzzle it out, trying to make sense of it. And yet there is one, there is one who says, I know it all, I created it all, I see it all. I am in it all with you. If you embrace me, then this life can make sense. You've been listening to a podcast from New Life Church. New Life is committed to transforming people 
and transforming places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Find out more at www.newlifechurch.uk